This path of mindfulness goes in one direction, towards the purification of beings, to the overcoming of sorrow and despair, to the disappearance of pain and grief, to the attainment of truth, to the realization of liberation. The Buddha spoke about applying mindfulness to what are called the four foundations to the entire body-mind experience. The first of these foundations is being attentive to the body, being aware of the body. The second is being aware of Vedana. It's translated as feeling, but not in the usual way that we think about feeling. Uh, What feeling as the second foundation means is noticing, being aware of the feeling tone of any experience, that in any experience that is happening, there is a pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feeling tone. So being aware of that. The third foundation is being aware of mental states or emotions, otherwise known as emotions. And the fourth of the foundations is being aware of how things work in this world and also how things don't work in this world. So I thought tonight I might talk about the third foundation of mindfulness, uh, about emotions. Uh, Not that I think that you're having any. (laughs) 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 It's so common on a retreat. It's common, of course, in our daily life, too, but it's so common on a retreat to experience really wild swings of emotion at times. I just want to clarify that I'm going to be uh, being a little liberal in my terms tonight, so because we, uh, when we speak about feeling in the Western world, um, we take that to mean the same as emotion. So if feeling comes out of my mouth, I don't mean it as Vedana. For those of you who know a lot about the Four Foundations, I mean it as equal, the same as an emotion. Some of these feelings that we experience, difficult emotions, are what I'm actually going to speak more to tonight, are feelings such as fear or terror, anger, irritation, the feeling or emotion of boredom, the feeling or emotion of despair or loneliness, feeling insecurity or a sense of purposelessness. What are we doing here? What am I doing in my life? You know, is life worth living? Experiencing shame and guilt and embarrassment, experiencing anxiety and depression, and unworthiness, experiencing longing and grief and doubt. And I know that's kind of a thorough list, but (laughs) 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 you might have one or two to add to it. (laughs) So emotions in general. (laughs) And basically what I want to do is talk about um, how we tend to habitually relate to emotions and another way of relating to emotions. If we judge emotions as being unspiritual, 
or basically problematic, basically something that we shouldn't be having and should be over already and, you know, something that we have to work through. Sometimes we get, in a certain point in practice, there's a sense of flatness or dullness or indifference. Um, You know, in practice, we're practicing to, in a way, become more ordinary, more full, more... uh, uh, more free. And if there is this stance towards emotions that they basically uh, are a mistake and shouldn't be happening, uh, generally we get a little bent at some point in practice. You know, we, we, we're not able to live in the world any more easily than when we began practice. We're actually less able to be a human being in this world. That's definitely going in the wrong direction. And if we overvalue emotions, if we think that they're everything, as sometimes we may, and that um, they're really the realm of spirituality is experiencing emotions. I'm talking about you know, both positive and negative emotions now. But that experiencing emotions are, are, is really being in touch with ourselves, in touch with things, and that we're not in touch with ourselves, we're not in touch with life unless we're having a particular emotion, you know, and we have our, our agendas of what those particular appropriate emotions may be. Life always doesn't cooperate, but we do have these agendas. Then we may find ourselves enslaved by emotion. We might find ourselves caught or imprisoned by emotions. So I want to reflect. I have just a, a bunch of reflections about emotions tonight, about feelings tonight, and as in any Dharma talk, I don't know if you've noticed this already, but in any Dharma talk, um, you want to listen in an attentive way, of course, and uh, listen in as open a way as possible. Probably one or two things are going to really jump out at you, and you're going to really be able to use those one or two things, and the rest you just might not connect with. This is the way it is in Dharma talks. You know, you don't have to connect with the whole thing. So just let anything go that uh, doesn't connect with your own experience and, uh, you know, see, see if there's just one or two different ways than we're used to working with emotion that, that comes to you that you might find usable tonight or throughout the day tomorrow for the rest of the retreat. I want to begin with um, something that Suzuki Roshi said, and it's a little bit of a challenge. He said, when you just observe delusion, as in, oh, this is just delusion, you have your true, peaceful, calm mind. When you start to cope with it, you will be involved with delusion. And I don't think Suzuki Roshi would mind. What I'm going to do is put a number of other emotions in there, see how it fits. When you just observe fear, as in, oh, this is just fear, you have your true, peaceful, calm mind. When you start to cope with it, you will be involved with fear. When you just observe anger, oh, this is just anger, you have your true, peaceful, calm mind. When you start to cope with it, you will be involved with anger. And I'll try just one more. When you just observe shame, oh, this is just shame, you have your true, peaceful, calm mind. 
when you start to cope with it, you will be involved with shame. Maybe just one more. (laughs) I love this. (laughs) When you just observe loneliness, oh, this is just loneliness. You have your true, peaceful, calm mind. When you start to cope with loneliness, you will be involved with it. This is what we habitually know to do. When an emotion arises that we're uncomfortable with or that we're unfamiliar with or that we don't like, we tend to try to cope. We tend to try to manage it in some way. We generally kick in to the habit of trying to figure it out. You know, instantly, many times when an emotion arises, you can see the mind kicking into the habit of why is this happening? How come this is happening? Is there a reason from the past that this is happening because of? How long is it going to be happening for? You know, I can handle it for this amount of time, but I can't handle it for that amount of time. On and on and on. Sounds familiar, right? Yeah. Is this emotion the same as the emotion that happened a few days ago? Is it the same as the one I had 10 years ago? Is it going to evolve into a better emotion? You know, if I stay with it. They say if I stay with it, if I'm mindful, <laughs> it'll get better. It'll go away. It'll go away. So, of course, I'm motivated to, to try to be mindful. You know, all this coping, manipulation, controlling, basically, basically, basically trying to get it to go away. You know, all our ways of uh, it, it looking very refined and sophisticated to cope. You know, when we even hear about it, stress redu- reduction, cope, and, you know, manage your life better. Meditation is not stress reduction. <laughs> and we're actually trying to let go of coping. We're actually let, trying to let go of trying to manage and control and work things out. And what we can generally see is that what looks so, you know, so valid and w- that which gets so much support in our culture, we get a lot of support culturally for coping and managing and controlling. You know, and then you read all these incredibly horrible things in the paper where people have obviously not managed to cope very well <laughs> at all, you know? I mean, it's not, it's not really such a great cultural message because it doesn't work. But anyway, because we uh, see it as, as generally what we should do, and sometimes we may even feel that we're not doing our duty if we don't kick into coping. You know, we're not doing what we should do. We feel a little guilty if we're not trying to figure it out and thinking and, you know, and um, trying to get out of it, trying to cope with it in some way or manage it. But generally, and I I put this out to you as a, a question for your own investigation, not as an assumption. But many times, if one looks really, really carefully, all of it, all of it has to do with trying to get rid of it. Coping, managing, controlling, the whole thing, the underpinnings you may see have to do basically with aversion. Now this is a huge kind of problem actually because aversion is exactly what locks in emotion best. It's the most successful way to lock in a difficult emotion. 
to prolong its life, to make it more, to feed it, you know, to make it bigger, to, to make it fatter, to make it into something that it originally was not, is by trying to push it away, trying to resist it. So it's really fundamental to see if we can see what we think is one thing may actually be something else. What we think of as, you know, working with things may actually be every cell in our our heart and body being this effort to simply get rid of it. What releases is acceptance. What allows for its natural arising and passing away, the natural flow of emotion, the natural flow of feeling, is acceptance, is seeing if it's possible when an emotion occurs. If we can see the way our mind instantly tends to kicking in, it's so fast sometimes, but if you can see how the mind instantly kicks in and tries to fix, tries to change, it's very, very wonderful because then there is a possibility to see, ah, can we do something different? Can we do something that actually is going to lead us to, you know, more spaciousness, more happiness? Can we see if we can accept this feeling? And if we can't, which is highly likely, can we accept that we can't? You know, because still, it's, it's still doing the work of meditation leading to freedom. If we can accept that we can't accept, this is okay. There's always a way in, in practice. So, you know, sometimes to say just accept fear, oh, you know, ugh, can't. I mean, absolutely in this moment, just not possible. Okay, see if it's possible then to accept the unacceptance of fear. And that's a way in. You know, because we always want to find a way in. When we're trying to cope and manage, we are way on the outside. We're not close to our experience. Many times it's really just thought as defense mechanism. And we're not close to our actual experience occurring in the present moment. And it's only until we are fully willing to experience our life from moment to moment that it opens, and not before, not before. In a meditative way of relating to difficult emotions, we want to look at how we relate rather than what it is as being so important. I mean, we do, we do want to know, oh yes, fear is happening. Oh yes, loneliness is occurring. Oh yes, despair is happening. We do want to know that. It's very helpful to know that irritation is occurring, anger is occurring, etc. But more important, even more important, is after we recognize what's happening, can we relate to it in a different way? You know, can we l- relate to it with some degree of, of mindfulness, of attention, of acceptance? Is that possible? So to place a little bit less attention on the content, not that the content isn't important at all, you know, but a little less attention on the content and a little more attention on how we are approaching. Because 
in our approach, that's where the conditioning reveals itself. Yeah. We come to a particular emotion and we try to push it away. That's the conditioning showing up, revealing itself right in that moment. We come to another emotion and we try to cling to it. We try to hold on to it. That's the conditioning showing up in that moment. And so can we notice our reaction to emotion? Can we be aware of our reactions to emotions? Is it possible to bring interest into the emotion that's occurring instead of trying to push it away? Is it possible to bring any degree of interest into it because it's happening? You know, simply because it's happening, can we bring up even a little bit? doesn't have to be a lot. You know, with very difficult emotions, it's hard to bring up a lot. We don't need a lot. We need just a little bit of interest. Yeah. And one way to bring this interest in is to say, well, how do I know that it's depression? Yeah. How do I know that grief is happening? How do I know that fear is happening? And then we can begin to break it down into its various elements. We can b- begin to see that there are a variety of thoughts collected together equaling fear. You know, we look more closely and we can begin to see um, thoughts occurring, fear thoughts occurring. And then we can begin to see that they are thoughts we can begin to see maybe when fear is happening, the heart starts to beat more strongly. And as we move more into our bodies, we're we're more acutely aware of this, of how the body reacts often. So we can be aware of uh, the heart beating or we can be aware of the breath going more quickly. We can break it down into what's actually happening in the present moment. You know, in the, in the noting, the technique that we were talking about this morning where we try to label what's happening, it's, it's obviously quite useful and helpful to do that. But we also don't want to um, label in such a way as to not experience our experience, because sometimes we can do this as well. If we find the right label for it, then... Um, it's kind of all over, even though it's, you know, it's obviously still happening. It's, <laughs> it's, it's all over on some level. And to not, you know, to not, um, to not assume that we know, but to come to our experience uh, without labels, too, you know, without labels, to see if we can experience life in that moment, however way it's expressing itself in however way life is expressing itself. Not to, there's a beautiful quote I don't have about not dissecting, sorry, about (laughs) about not dissecting life into nouns and verbs and, you know, that you, you lose so much when you do that. And so to not do that, but to also see what is the actual experience? What are the actual thoughts that make me think that this is F E A R happening right now? What are the actual experiences in the body that make me think that D-I-S-P-A-I-R is occurring right now? What's actually happening in the moment? So this is one question we can have. Another question, very simple question, but one that we often miss, is, 
Am I afraid of this feeling? Am I afraid of feeling this feeling? Am I afraid of feeling fear? You know, fear itself being what it is. Am I afraid of feeling it? Am I afraid of feeling anger? Is anger totally unacceptable to me? And am I actually afraid to feel it? Am I afraid to feel despair? Am I afraid that if I fully feel despair that it will lead me to a place that is beyond despair, wherever that place may be? Am I afraid to feel this feeling? And we can we can work with all feelings in this way because oftentimes just asking the question we see, we see into it more clearly. Just by asking the question we see, well I can I can feel this in the present moment. You know, I can't I can't feel it for the next day or the next for my next life or anything like that. But we're not asked to do that. You know, we're really only and this is so so important in the Buddhist teaching, we're only asked to pay attention to what it is that's happening right here and now. I mean, all peace, all happiness comes out of experiencing the present moment. So when we look at this question, am I afraid of feeling this feeling, we might, we might answer ourselves and say, no. You know, fear is just fear, and loneliness is just loneliness. And if we see that, yes, you know, I am really afraid, then we can bring attention to the fear. You know, we can bring attention to the fear of the fear. And this is what begins to untangle fear. This is what begins to decondition fear and leave us less enslaved by things that we are afraid of. So just to ask this question when we find that we're pushing something away, because sometimes we're pushing something away and we're really in agony, um, but we're not aware that we're just simply plain afraid to feel it. We're afraid of what's going to happen if we feel it. All of the teachings are, and, and you know, not just the teachings, the teachings in, in people's bodies, the teachings, not teachings from 2,500 years ago, but teachings in living beings, the teachings, are all enormously reassuring that we will not die from a feeling. Yeah? We won't. It's not happened. It's not, it's not ever happened. And that if we can be aware of our fear, which, again, sometimes just dissolves uh, it entirely, but other times allows us a way to just be more aware of the fear that's occurring, that we will be able to hold it in a radically different way. This is the possibility in practice. This is the reality in practice, is that we learn how to hold our experience in a radically different way so that we're not afraid of feeling, so that we're not afraid of life. You know, we can say that fear of feeling has to do with a certain fear of life, of experiencing life in all of its complexity. And, you know, we don't want to live like that. We don't want to live in a limited and imprisoned way. That really just has to do with the way that our mind imprisons us. It doesn't have to do with reality at all. But, you know, we may know this rationally, but then we're choked or held by a particular fear. It doesn't matter at that point whether you know it rationally or not. 
The question still is, am I afraid of this? It's still the question to ask. Practice is so, you know, beautifully humbling all the time because it doesn't matter what we know. <laughs> it matters what we apply in the present moment. It, it matters whether we're fresh and, and able to let go of knowing and able to bring a pure sense of knowing that doesn't have to do with past experience, doesn't have anything to do with conditioning. You know, it has to do with being awake and alive and fresh and sensitive in the here and now. We have feelings all the time, and some of them are just fine, and some of them we uh, see as very difficult, and we all tend to be a little bit different in this area. So it's an area of investigation. In other words, uh, one person can experience a lot of sadness or grief on retreat, and that person can relate to the sadness or grief as a real problem and something that has to be gotten rid of as quickly as possible. Another person can experience sadness on retreat and think, oh, good, finally, something's happening in practice. You know? <laughs> I'm experiencing sadness. Same sadness, but different reaction. So we, we kind of just have to get to know ourselves in these ways. Also, we need to get to know what emotions or feelings we're already comfortable with, which all of us are comfortable with some emotions or feelings, and then apply that wisdom to the emotions that we're not comfortable with. You know, for some of us, um, you know, it might be okay to feel grief. That might be an acceptable emotion to feel sadness, to feel grief. But shame is totally, you know, we, we cringe away from shame or we cringe away from anxiety or we can't stand experiencing fear. So we want to take our understanding of, of grief, if that's an acceptable emotion, and see if we can bring it into other emotions. You know, because whenever we're viewing things differently, it's a problem. In other words, when we um, view an em one emotion differently than another emotion, then we're stuck in some way. When we are relating to a feeling as um, different than, you know, whatever, the sound of a bird or the sound of traffic or whatever, um, then we're stuck a little bit. You know, so we want to use what we already know and apply it to that which is difficult. What I mean is that when we hear traffic sound or sound of a bird, it's really, oh, you know, that's just chirping occurring or that's just whatever a car sounds like occurring. <laughs> I won't do a car sound. <laughs> You'll be saved from that. <laughs> but, you know, generally, it's, it's okay. We're, we're pretty equanimous with this. And so we want to bring that same equanimity to that which is difficult to bring equanimity to. But see, we all know it in some form or another. We'll, we all have our different areas of wisdom. And so we want to take what we know, we want to take our strength in a way, and where our wisdom lies and see if we can apply it to areas that um, we feel are really difficult, are really problematic. Oftentimes, we get the sense of this is the same old feeling, oh my God, you know, happening again. Whenever there is that thought, it means that we're not being fresh with it. It's just a signal. It's not real because a feeling or an emotion, everything is only happening in the present moment. 
So it's not real, but it is like a red light signal that we're not being present. We're not meeting what's happening if we see it as old. Bringing compassion to difficult feelings is really important. Instead of judging feelings as being good or bad, what we want to do is to see if suffering or the lack of suffering is occurring. We want to see through this kind of a lens whether the feeling is a suffering feeling or whether the feeling um, is not, is, is peace. You know, so we want to look through this lens rather than through the lens of judgment and criticism. Because if we're looking through the lens of judgment, then we can't get close enough to our experience to be able to see it. We can't get close enough to our experience to be able to look into it deeply to begin to see what it really is. What a feeling, what an emotion actually really is. So it's so important to for there to be compassion. We can practice the practice of non-dwelling. And what this means is to keep it in the present moment, to to not move into the past about how this has happened and so it will be like this, to not move into a future life about it, because that's when we generally uh, get stuck and create problems for ourselves, is when we forget that it's just happening right now. When we give a life to it, it's usually a false life. We have no idea what's actually going to happen. But we give some kind of an imagined life to it, and then we react to it as if it were real. You know, in other words, this is going to last for a certain amount of time. You know, too long always, but maybe, maybe, you know, maybe forever even. Uh, this is going to last for. And we have no proof of this. We have no no, uh, this is the, you know, we don't know this at all. But then we react to this, this idea that we've made up in our minds, and then we suffer more. So it's really important to see. The Buddha said to, in the first foundation, contemplate the body in the body. Do not apply yourself to a train of thought connected with the body. And he said this as, as applied to all the foundations, so we'll use emotion. Contemplate emotions in the emotions. Do not apply yourself to a train of thought connected to emotions. So this means, can we, in the present moment, be aware of the emotion that is happening, no matter how difficult it may be, can we be aware? Many years ago, I was on retreat, and my mother was sick before I went on retreat, which may have started this, I don't know. But I began to feel just an enormous, enormous, overwhelming feeling of loneliness. And I didn't just feel it for, you know, an hour or a few hours. I kept feeling it. It, it obviously had its gaps, which I wasn't aware of. <laughs> but it seemed like it was happening a lot, happening over and over again. And I wasn't really aware that it was loneliness. I thought it was all kinds of other things, and I basically just, you know, just kind of wanted it to go away. And my mind started cooking, started reacting to this feeling, thinking, oh, you know, I have to spend more time with my family. Oh, um, you know, 
um, I have to spend time with other people's families. <laughs> One family's not enough, you know? I need other people's families. Oh, um, I, sh I should be home on the holidays. Oh, maybe I have, should have, sh maybe I should adopt 10 kids. You know, I mean, I started panicking. I started panicking, which is sometimes what we do. And this whole wave, you know, it continued, continued, and then it stopped. The feeling stopped at some point, which it always does. And I realized, thank God, I didn't adopt the 10 kids, <laughs> for one thing, you know. Or thank God I didn't, um, you know, I didn't do any of the things that I was thinking about doing because my life was just fine. You know, basically not a problem. Basically really set up for what I want to do in this lifetime. But, you know, we, we get panicky sometimes. And then the mind starts going. And then we catch up with it at some point. The, the important thing is, you know, not that it's gone, because that's just a space of suffering. And when we catch up with it, it's, it's a done case of suffering. So we just need to be with it whenever we catch it. And then we can learn a lot. You know, we can learn a lot. Maybe the next time something happens where there's that same intensity of feeling or that same particular feeling, maybe we remember to respond to it in a little bit of a different way. It can take years to experience some feelings. Uh, it depends on what one's life has been like up to the point of one's beginning of practice, how difficult things have been. Um, it depends on one's defense systems. It depends on... Um, Sometimes I think that one has to first come to a certain degree of calm and samadhi before we're willing to experience certain really difficult feelings, you know, because we're just not ready. Hmm. So not at all, the reason I'm saying this is not at all to judge practice by the feelings that are occurring, because that just locks it in more. That judgment is absolutely unnecessary, and we really don't know what we're talking about. We really don't. So grounding oneself in the present moment, using the body. The Buddha said that your worst enemy can't harm you more than your own unguarded thoughts. <laughs> so it's worth it to pay attention to the thoughts that are running out of control, because that's what we tend to believe. We tend to believe the thoughts that are happening, which really fuels the emotion makes the emotion stronger. We don't want to make our home in any emotion at all. You know, we don't want to set down roots in any emotion at all because it is impermanent. It's not going to be reliable enough. In the practice of non-dwelling, we don't want to hurry through something. You know, non-dwelling doesn't mean hurrying to note or to know what's happening so that we can rush back to the breath. That's not what non-dwelling is. It's a relaxed knowing in the present moment what's happening and then not feeding, you know, not setting down roots, not making our home, not setting down the, the tent uh, spikes into the ground, you know, and then starting to make uh, interior decorate in, uh, in a home that is really not, even in the best of feelings, going to be satisfying. Because uh, there's, a, there's a beautiful thing that in Joanna um, Macy's book is, is said, that no feeling is final. That no feeling is final. 
and that this is just how things are. So we don't want to try to find a home in any feeling. We do want to find a home in loving attention because this is a reliable home. We can find a home in awareness and this is reliable. In other words, knowing what is happening, knowing what our experience is, and simply just knowing. They're not always having to be an object there, but the quality of knowing itself. This is a true home. This is a reliable home. You know, sometimes when we're in difficulty, we think, where can I find help? Where can I find refuge? We don't want to take refuge in thought. We don't want to take refuge in an emotion. We do want to take refuge in our own capacity to know. And this is really where peace lies, is in awareness. This is a true refuge that we can find for ourselves that nobody can take away from us. You know, unfortunately, nobody can give it to us either. But, no, <laughs> but nobody can, can take it away from us. And this is, this is quite a precious thing. Mm. We don't see that things are impermanent because we often don't sustain our attention long enough to see the beginning and the ending. You know, we find ourselves in the middle of something and then we either panic or we move into our coping uh, mechanisms or whatever, but we don't hang around long enough with the emotion itself in its pure sense, in terms of feeling it in the body, to see impermanence, to see the ending of every emotion. And so we don't always get this lesson because we don't hang around long enough. And that's where our work with the breath is so helpful and important and powerful. Because the more that we work with being with the breathing, sustaining the intention on the breath, the more energy, power, um, ability we'll have to stay with emotion long enough to see it through, long enough to see this essential lesson of impermanence. But there needs to be, as I spoke about a couple of nights ago, there needs to be enough strength of heart to be able to be with a, a difficult emotion. And so we train on the breathing. It's, we're, we're strengthening the heart, um, making the mind more powerful to be able to be with that which is really hard to be with, with that which is difficult. And th- in this way, our life gets bigger and bigger because we can hold more of life Instead of being so picky about it, you know, I can be with this, but I can't be with that. I can handle this, but I can't handle that. And we get, we get quite narrow in our viewpoint. Instead, um, you know, it allows us to, to have a much more expansive, spacious, free way of being in this world. It's always possible to um, back off from any emotion and to use the breathing. So please really feel free to do this. I know in the beginning of practice, it seems like, you know, it's just not enough. The emotion is so strong and the breath is this little tiny thing. (laughs) And, you know, you hear this kind of instruction, you think, oh, brother, you know, Uh, the breath, give me something good, you know. (laughs) Give me something that really would make a difference. But the, the breath, it doesn't really quite connect. But I really, if you give enough time to this, and if you stay with it long enough, it really truly does become a refuge. It can take years and years and years and years, but it really does become a true refuge. And then you hear the breath and you think, oh yes, you know, that is really possible. 
But it's, it's, a, it's a gradual kind of thing, you know, because in the beginning of practice, and beginning, of course, can be many, many years, um, it's this big renunciation to be with the breath. Now, everything else is so much more interesting. Emotions are so much more vital, so much more real, you know, thoughts than being with the breathing. Gradually what happens is that it's no longer a renunciation. It's actually where we want to be. There actually is a sense of true refuge when we're attending to the breathing. But this, again, is something that happens on its own in quite a natural way. The more energy we put into being with the breath, the more of a refuge it will become for us. So, as I said before, using what we already know about how to be with sound, how to be with... um, other sensations in the body, perhaps how to be with the breathing. You know, if we know anything about being with the breathing, um, using how we know how to be with the breath, and we all know something about being with the breath, applying that same knowledge to an emotion. I've been speaking about um, receiving the breathing, settling back and getting a little bit more spacious and not trying to grab, not trying to reach out for a breath. Same with emotion. You know, see if we can settle back, relax a little bit, um, open up and receive an emotion instead of grabbing it, instead of of trying to do something with it, instead of trying to work with it or, or do anything about it. See if we can just simply receive it. In working with the breath, of course, something so fundamental is we're learning gradually how to let go of control how to let go of controlling the breathing. And as we learn how to let go of controlling the breathing, we can also transfer this knowledge to emotions, to difficult emotions. We can allow there to be less inner control of emotions. Taking the precepts is so powerful because it gives us protection from hurting others with difficult emotions. It's, it's really you know, enormous help in our practice life because we can really trust that we can feel things deeply inside. The worst, the most horrendous, most difficult emotions, and we're not going to harm anyone. And that that's gives one a lot of safety, a lot of protection. But inwardly, we really do need to let go of our control. You know, it doesn't, it's, it's still there. We, we need to let go of the ways that we're fiddling around and see if we can just, just feel it fully as it is. To recognize, to accept, and then to, um, to let be or notice its impermanence. Letting be can lead to seeing impermanence in a natural way. But we can sustain the attention long enough to see that it's impermanent. If we don't attend to difficult emotions, such as fear and loneliness and on and on and on, what happens, to, what happens is that generally it turns into despair on some level, and this despair undermines our faith. We all have a certain degree of faith, whether we always know it or not. You know, when we think, what am I doing here? Why am I practicing these kinds of faith-like questions? 
You know, they're real questions, but on the other hand, we also do all have a certain degree of faith because we're here, because we're putting our bodies behind our aspirations. Even if we're not totally convinced we're doing the right thing, we're still here. You know, the body has shown up. That's a really huge thing. In, in our sitting practice, you know, the body sits down, the body, yeah. So, so there is some degree of faith that is operating for all of us. But it's really, really essential to um, work skillfully and lovingly with difficult emotions because, uh, again, it can easily turn, any emotion can turn into despair because of it being so hard to feel. And then our faith can really be attacked. It can really undermine our faith. We need faith because out of faith comes the energy to be mindful. If we don't have any faith, then we're apt to just be quite, um, you know, just letting things go as they go. And nothing real is happening. No training of heart is occurring when we just let things go in their so-called natural way. You know, when we follow instinct. Obviously, we're here because we have followed instinct and we, don't, we, don't, we see that it hasn't really worked all that well. So it's really essential um, for there to be faith. And faith comes about through being with our experience from moment to moment, seeing our way through. It's really important when there is despair, when it's turned from another difficult emotion into despair, when you find yourself in despair at all, when there is a sense of despair, to try not to pay too much attention to the thoughts that are happening. And even if it's a light level of despair, like a casual kind of thing around, like, you know, what am I doing, uh, you know, with my life, you know, for the rest of my life, you know? <laughs> but it, it doesn't feel like it has gigantic roots of angst. It's just, you know, kind of like a, 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 a question that goes on and on and on and on and on. You know, what am I doing? Um, it's really important to recognize that we're not going to think this one out. We really are not. You know, we think that... We will, eventually. We just haven't thought about it enough or correctly. (laughs) But in actuality, it just is going to take us around and around and around and around. We're not going to find our true purpose. We're not going to find true meaning. We're not going to find how we can be of use in this life by thinking about it. We're not going to find happiness through thinking about it, through worrying at the question. Not at all. We won't find a way out. And easily, when we think like this, it becomes really global. You know, we start off with a a, kind of a tiny thought, and then, you know, it turns into, I'm a mess, and I'm always going to be a mess. You know, it turns into this global kind of thing. You know, when we realize, oh, yes, I think I'm a mess now, but there's another moment when I, you know, I think things are pretty good, and then there's another moment when uh, I'm a mess again, you know? But it gets really big. It gets too big, and it's really just that the mind has gotten out of control. The question is, can we hold despair tenderly? Can we hold despair without judgment and without justification, but with compassion? Can we hold despair with patience? Can we hold our not having found what we want to find yet with patience? That's really our question. With any degree of patience, Recognition and acceptance of what's happening is really important. 
and it's it's not an endpoint because acceptance and recognition allows us to respond to what we need to respond to in life from a place of peace inside instead of our actions being blind and reactive our actions become informed guided by wisdom and guided by compassion and this is such a different way to live what we need to ask when we're caught in a difficult feeling is where can refuge be found you know where can refuge be found because we're habitually trying to find it where it can't be found and it's just the way we are as human beings we're habitually trying to find uh, peace and calm and refuge and satisfaction and an end to our longing where it's not possible to find it so when there is a difficult feeling occurring, can we apply this teaching? Can we simply ask, am I trying to find it in, impermanent, in something that's impermanent? Am I trying to find it where it can be found? And can I instead back up a little bit and take refuge in that which knows? In that which knows. That's, that's the Buddha. That's the Buddha inside. We all know. And we can all back up and take refuge in that which knows. Let me just finish with a something, something, hmm. I have all these different options here. (laughs) Something by Suzuki Roshi to end with him since we began with him. Even though waves arise, the essence of your mind is pure. It is just like clear water with a few waves. Actually, water always has waves. Waves are the practice of the water. Mm. (laughs) So, let's sit for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.